I'm Don Humphrey. No one would introduce me, <clears throat> so I'd just tell you who I am. And uh, I want to tell you, we're going to have a, a screen up here in a moment. Hope. I want to tell you about uh, Mount Juliet's involvement now uh, in establishing preacher training schools in Sudan and how it is that we're going to be, uh, there we go, how we're going to be doing mission work and uh, accomplishing, hope, hopefully, the conversion of a lot of people through establishing these. Um, <clears throat> in, in, uh, I feel like today that one of the things that we would be doing is, is like the, the return trip of Paul after his first missionary journey. He came back to, uh, to Antioch. And in Acts, the 14th chapter, in verse 26 and 27, he said that from Atalia they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And I'd like to think that we're going to be talking about how that... Uh, the church here has gathered together, and we're going to talk about the door that God has opened to us uh, to, uh, to, to maybe not just a part of the Gentiles and a part of the world. And then I'd like to think, too, that we're going to be talking about what Paul mentioned in Ephesians 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And tell you about how that the people of Sudan, who have been so far away and where the gospel has not reached there until just recent years, that now they have been brought near through the, through the blood of Christ. I'd like to explain to you also as we go through that actually what we're doing is a partnership with the Sunset International Bible Institute and the Mount Juliet Church. In establishing these preacher training schools, uh, the Sunset International uh, school is able to oversee the instructional work, which a church is not usually capable of uh, having the capacity to do that on that kind of scale. And, uh, but on the other hand, there is the, uh, the church who can build and run the school, which uh, uh, school of preaching there, which uh, the Sunset International Bible Institute is, is uh, not doing. We need to establish preacher training schools in South Sudan and in Kenya and Uganda and Northeast Africa. Uh, my, I work with the uh, inter, uh, Sunset International Bible School as well. Uh, they give me a title. I love this title. I am called the Dean of Ministry Training for Northeast Africa. They give you a title like that when they don't pay you a red cent. And, uh, and it's the least they could do, you know, that way. One of the first things that people ask about when we're talking about this, well, where in the world is Sudan? Well, Sudan is in Africa. And if you look down at the very bottom of that map, you'll see a town called Juba. And if you come on down even toward the, the uh, border there of Uganda and Kenya, it doesn't show on the map, but there's a little, little trading village, about 13,000 people or so, of uh, Magwe. And that is where the preacher training school is going to be established. And uh, if you look at this map and look at the insert there, that will show you the, 
the relationship of Sudan to the continent of Africa. Sudan is the largest country in Africa. It's about the size of Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico all combined. It has about 40 million people there. And you've read a lot about it in the news. Before we get too far into it, I want to tell you a story about missed opportunities, though. The story is that in 1266, the emperor of the largest empire, supposedly in the history of the world, uh, Kublai Khan, wrote to Marco Polo. And Marco, uh, Kublai Khan had heard how that Jesus had died for the sins of the world, and he wanted his people to know about that. So he m wrote to Marco Polo and asked him if he would send teachers to China and Mongolia in order to teach his people to be Christians. Well, what was the response to this incredible opportunity when the emperor asked you to bring, to come and convert my nation? Well, after many years, there were only two people who decided, who stepped forward and said they would go. And even then, they turned back about halfway into their mission. And they left behind the largest legacy, the greatest missed opportunity perhaps in history. Can you imagine what China would be like tonight, today if those people had really have gone and the nation had been so-called Christianized? Well, our, our opportunity perhaps in Sudan is not as great as that. But I would suggest to you that there is an outstanding and thrilling opportunity here beyond our imagination at the moment of most of us. Because the church has the opportunity today to grow faster in Africa than we can take care of. There are more members of the Church of Christ in Africa, as large as it is, as it is than there are in the United States today. Just in the nation of Malawi, and, and Dick and Susie Stevens, I believe, are here with us this morning, uh, that they've worked there for years. That Just in the nation of Malawi, with 13 million people, there are over 4,000 individual congregations. I've read that one out of every 50 people in Malawi is a member of the Church of Christ. And that's the third largest concentration in, in the nations of Africa. But, you know, folks, that's, that's just not enough, though. The International Studies Division, and we'll have this partnership with, began in Ecuador in 1997 when they established a preacher training school in Quito, Ecuador. And the idea was to train people in the language and in the culture of Ecuador to preach in Quito and Ecuador and the surrounding countries and to the Spanish-speaking areas of the world. And then they realized that this basic strategy would work in every language, in every culture, and in every nation. And we'll explain to you somewhat why we're not talking about sending an American missionary over to Sudan uh, to preach. Our traditional mission strategy has been that we would send an American missionary to a country, and if he was very successful over several years, maybe he would have men converted who had the ability to be a leader in the church. And so then those natives then were sent back to the United States to one of our schools to be trained, so he'd go back to his home country, and he could be a leader, and thus the church get an established foothold in that country. Our experience has been that when those natives come back to the United States, that they stay here a little bit, and then more than half of them never do go back. 
because they like it so well here or they marry someone here and they stay or sometimes they're ruined because they come and they get acquainted with the culture and the prosperity of America and that just doesn't work in their home country and so they're ruined when they go back. And so, you know, the, the reason we're talking about going and establishing a preacher training school rather than this is that we're now able to take the men who have been converted in that country of Sudan and train them in Sudan to preach to their people. So which is most effective stewardship? To train one international preacher in the United States and hopefully he'll work and go back or maybe to train 10 international preachers in their culture and in their economy with the same amount of money and the same amount of work, which is the most effective way. Why are we doing this new emphasis this way? Is now we're in a position to build on the past. So many of these countries now, where missionaries have been there, and they've been there for years, and now then they've, they've got established, and there are men there who are capable of being trained to do this. In Sudan, we have a history of only about 10 years, but already there's a nucleus of men who are able to be trained in Sudan by Sudanese preachers, and they will be trained in their language and in their culture, and Americans won't be even seen. And that's the way it really ought to be. It is less expensive, we've, un, we've discovered, and more effective to train men in their own country that they learn best in their own language and in their own culture taught by their own people. And that's what we're going to be trying to do. Now, when I talk to you about the work of establishing preacher training schools that the congregation here is going to be doing, we're not talking about preachers being supported once they get out of these schools by U.S. churches. Now, this is maybe a little bit shocked to some people, but we have learned that in these, these countries that once you start supporting these preachers after they get out of school, you can't quit. And so for as long as they live, they have to be supported by American churches. So why start? And I'm not going to be talking to you about the church buildings being paid by American pre uh, churches either. These people will take care of their own salaries. And uh, except in, in rare instances, in rare instances only will we be responsible for building their church buildings. They're capable of doing those things themselves. And so this, this uh, international schools division has, has grown so that today there are in, in partnership with American churches. There are now 48 schools in 35 nations, 48 non-English speaking schools in 35 nations with a staff today of about 150 people and about 1,620 students this year in those schools training to be preachers. And this year there were graduated about 450 men who are now trained in their language and in their culture to preach to their people. The door opened uh, in South Sudan about 20 years ago because of the, uh, of the civil war there. And the people were sent out of their countries. They left, they ran, and lived in refugee camps in other countries. And it was there then that some of those men were uh, selected to be immigrants, international immigrants to other countries. And some of them came to the United States. Out of those refugee camps, some of those men were sent to the United States. They were converted here. They came in contact with Christians here, were converted. Some of those men were sent to the 
uh, Sunset International Bible Institute in Lubbock for two years of intensive training, and now two of them are back in the country, and they're Sudanese. They speak the language. They know the culture. It would take us 20 years for an American to do the very same thing. And uh, so this is the background. So these two men are trained. There is now a third man that we'll be talking to you about uh, soon that, that also is Sudanese. He's from Canada. Uh, he's Sudanese, and he wants to go back, and uh, the plan is that Mount Juliet will send him back then. There are now then, among those immigrants, about 16 congregations of Sudanese people with a membership of three to 3,000 to 3,500 people that's been established. I'm going to try to show you some pictures real quickly of some of these people so you'll, you'll see a, a face that, uh, that's going with this philosophy. The first preacher that uh, trained in the United States, a Sudanese who went back to Sudan, is a man by the name of Isaiah Jackson. Now you look at Isaiah here and he doesn't look like very much. You meet him and talk to him and you're impressed that he's not very much. But in about eight or nine years that he's been back in that country, he's been very successful. When John Ed and I were back in Sudan last summer, uh, we were teaching in, um, one morning and afterwards so I, um, we were standing around outside the church building and somebody came up to me and pointed to this man here. And you see this man here that said, he has baptized about 3,500 people. Now, that's pretty good, folks. And when those people are, are able to do that, we need to really encourage them and get behind them because they are far more effective than Americans could ever think about being. You, you know that, don't you? Now, sometimes these congregations meet out under a tree. They don't have a church building. I've discovered that you don't have to have an expensive air-conditioned building to go to heaven. You can meet under a tree out there. These are men. This man, Isaiah, has trained men in the congregations there. He would bring them together and have intensive training sessions in which he trains them to be leaders. These men need additional training, but this is working, though. This is how we have 16 congregations and this many people. And this is uh, one of the sessions in which they brought these men together. You'll notice some women there. These women are not being trained to preach, but... They came because they wanted to learn the Bible better, but they're also able to train the women there as, as well. Now, these men here don't look like a whole lot either, you know, but who knows whether these men are able to convert 3,500 people in the next 10 years or not. Brother uh, Stevens told me the other, just the other day about uh, two men in the nation of Malawi that during their lifetime established over 500 congregations between the two of them. And folks, this is the opportunity we're looking at. This opportunity may not be here in 40 years. So we need to take advantage of it now while we can. This is a ladies' class in, in Sudan, and it works. And this is how those people are baptized just like they are here, except it's in a muddy river. But people are being baptized, and the work is growing. This is one of the congregations uh, that meets there. It's, uh, um, the seats are pretty hard, and the, the roof is um, thatched, but it works, and, and there are several hundred people that meet there. And this is a congregation, another one outside uh, of their church building. 
When John, Ed, and I were there, we taught uh, some of the leaders in classes while we were there. The one that sticks out that's the only white man in the group there is John, Ed. And, uh, but these are quality men. They just need additional training. This was another training session in another congregation where we were, were too. This is a man and brother, Sisto, and his wife. And both of these are great leaders of the church. These are new Christians, but they're serious. And these people will take the gospel. They don't have the inhibitions that Americans do about taking the gospel to other people. Here's Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew is a well-qualified man who speaks good English uh, and is also educated, too, that will be working. Here's, this is the second uh, Sudanese man we have there. He came after Isaiah did. This is, man's name is Kennedy Saramo. Here in this picture, he is showing these Sudanese refugees in Uganda how that they can establish the church in their community when they go back because these people now are going back. And this is one of the congregations that have been established. These immigrants now, this year, are going back home to Sudan from these refugee camps where they've spent the last 20 years, a lot of them. And uh, they're established in the congregation and in churches and homes where they, they went to. This is the uh, congregation in Juba, the capital city of, of southern Sudan. Didn't even exist about a year, a year and a half ago. And uh, this is another, well, this is the one uh, here of uh, Juba. The other one was the uh, church that meets in Magwe, where the school is going to be located. And where the school is located, then that's going to be a strong center for the church because those students are going to surround the countryside there. And churches are going to grow in that area, and they're going to become strong because that's where the school is. Now, as these people go back home from, uh, and they're leaving... uh, 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 the refugee camps in Uganda and other places, the UN takes them back in a truck. All they take back with them is what they can carry in a plastic bag. And the UN then dumps them wherever it is that they want them to go. This is how that they will live now. They give, UN gives them a, a tarp to put over themselves in case it rains to protect themselves. Other than that, they don't have anything. But these people are Christians, and they're going back, and they're getting their lives reestablished. This uh, doesn't look like a whole lot to you right here now, but this is a fabulous piece of property because this is, these people are measuring out the perimeters of five acres of land that the church owns there. We bought for $750, five acres. And it's upon that that the preacher training school is going to be built, a kindergarten, a church building, a director's home. All of this will be built upon that piece of land right there. Now, when these people went back home, they didn't, uh, they didn't have anything except that tarp and uh, something in a plastic bag to carry with them, maybe a pot and a pan and a couple of blankets or so. And so they needed something. So the church um, here in the, in the United States has supplied a thousand uh, uh, sets of what we would call a set where we give them a... a, a a machete and a hoe to work with and seed and fertilizer so they can plant a garden to grow. It wasn't real easy getting it there, as you can see from this picture, but it did. And there it's arrived. Here's a picture of some of these people that are receiving this. We didn't get it completed before the rains came, and it will be completed after, after that comes. But we are convinced, though, that the gospel message can and will be preached in South Sudan. 
using only trained Sudanese men. But they need our help to be trained. We have the land now. We will start construction on the school soon in South Sudan. And the church here in Mount Juliet will provide the means whereby that up to 20 men a session can be trained and there can be two sessions a year. And Mount Juliet will, will provide the means to house these men while they'll be trained. The training of them and the feeding of these students so that they can leave and go out and be preachers and establish congregations all over South Sudan. These schools now that we're going to be establishing are going to be modeled after the schools that, that have been very successful in Ethiopia. You don't hear very much about Ethiopia, but in 1961, there was one congregation and 30 members in Ethiopia. In 1968, they started a preacher training school, and the church grew. Today, I got these, these statistics from a member of, from an uh, Ethiopian in uh, just a... A uh, few months ago. Today, he estimates that there are 835 preachers in Ethiopia, over 80,000 members, Ethiopian members there, over 800 congregations. And they would say the growth came because of the preacher training schools. And in this Ethiopian model, there are no preachers, there are no American preachers in Ethiopia. There are none of these churches and preachers being supported by U.S. funds. And it is an opportunity for us to duplicate that. You know, folks, what I want to emphasize to you, that, uh, that God has placed this challenge and this opportunity before us. And it is an open door if there ever was one. There are probably no people on the face of the earth today that are more receptive to the gospel than the people of Sudan. And the need and the work is going to be massive. And, and the opportunity is fantastic, though, that, you know, we can come back here in 40 years from now, if we could, and say, look, you know, because of all these things that the Mount Juliet Church has done, we have over 800 congregations in Sudan. There are over 80,000 members of the church. And all of those good things that we can, that we can say. And it's an opportunity for us to, to duplicate all of that. And I hope in the future we'll be able to come back and talk about the marvelous accomplishments, the tremendous opportunities that are still there. God is preparing things, I think, for us that we do not see yet and we need to be aware of. This work will blossom. The doors will be open and there will be unlimited opportunities for us. And it will be the most thrilling thing, perhaps, that you've ever been a bad way. Now, in talking about all of those things, I want to tell you in conclusion of all of this that there is good news and bad news about all of this. The good news is this. There is plenty of money in the Mount Juliet congregation to pay for everything we need to do right now and that will come about that we're going to need to do in South Sudan and all of these other things that we're going to talk about that's on that list. There is plenty of money for it. I assure you that. The bad news is it's still in our pockets. We must get it out of there and support all of these great things that the mission committee and the elders here have outlined for us to do. Finally, brothers, my conclusion would be the same as Paul's. 
Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. Thank you very much. Man, that was good, wasn't it? <laughs>